Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, Kirsten Myers-Blake is joining us to talk about remote teaching and learning, specifically ways to foster classroom community and establish learning workshops in a virtual classroom. Kirsten has worn many hats in education and is currently a classroom teacher and PEBC lab host in Denver, Colorado. Kirsten, we welcome you to the podcast. Let's start off by hearing a little bit about your background in education. So I started in Jeffco in Colorado, um, and I quickly got, I got married and then I moved to South Carolina where I didn't, I had no job. And so I got a job in the middle of the summer and I ended up teaching at a very much so sort of inner city, um, middle, it was an intermediate school, but all of my kids were, I taught sixth grade, but all of my kids were, they had been uh, retained at least once. So I taught the disciplinary class as a 23 year old, which was really something, uh, not, remotely qualified to do that. And then um, I moved to Goose Creek, South Carolina, where we did, I taught in a a trailer school. So all of my students um, lived in trailers, they would go home into their trailers to have lunch, and then they would come back at school. And I had a critter bin, and we would have crawdads and a whole bunch of like bullfrogs that were brought into the classroom daily. So two very different situations in the same state. And then I moved to New York um, and I decided to apply to get a master's degree um, at Teachers College, Columbia University. And I had no idea who Lucy was. And she was my, um, oh, what do you call it? You're the person who tells you what classes to take. Yes. Um, And she just cornered me in a wall and she said, why are you not teaching right now? And I said, oh, I couldn't get my license fast enough. Um, And so she set up an interview for me and I taught at um, PS 59 and just, it was my colleagues at that school, my principal at that school that just blessed and sort of changed my life forever um, in the sense of getting opportunities and seeing what really instruction was about. And then while I was there, I met Ellen Keene. She was one of our resident coaches. And when I moved back to Colorado, she got me uh, in contact with PEBC. And that's when my sort of staff developer leadership role was sort of really um, underneath the wings of PEBC. And I've been so, I mean, the people that I've gotten to learn at at the feet of, I'm so blessed. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with, you know, as a colleague and within the PEBC network. I know that this year, um, the 2021 school year, is going to provide yet another teaching context for you and another role. You are taking on uh, the role of being a remote learning teacher for your district. Tell us a little bit about what that might look like and sound like. What are you anticipating? So I think like with most 
teachers. We're just waiting around all summer to kind of get the info. <laughs> None of us really know what things look like where, you know, things seem to be changing by week. Um, and so it's very, very, very fresh that I am going to be teaching in a remote uh, in the virtual learning academy um, in, in a remote classroom. Um, and I'm also, you know, with collaborating with colleagues that we don't, we don't actually know what the other option is going to look like. But one of the things that I do know is that all of us colleagues will be teaching remotely. I'm going to be one of the teachers that stays remote for the rest of the semester and year. Wow. So moving from your you know, classroom context now to a virtual context, that will be your assignment for the entire yes. school year. Yes. So, you know, last year, all of us in March found ourselves, you know, right in the middle of remote learning. And you found yourself in that situation. You know, when we kind of think of it as crisis teaching, I think is one of the best ways to describe where everyone landed last spring. But you were there as a teacher, a parent, a partner, a community member, really trying to figure out what are the best ways in which you could transform your instruction from your classroom, your fifth grade classroom, into a remote context that really was equitable for all of your learners and provided meaningful instruction. Uh, I had an opportunity to see some of the videos from some of your screencastifies. I had a chance to you know, work with you as a coach and to hear some of your thinking and questions. When you think back on that time, um, what are some of the lessons that you learned about teaching and learning during that time of crisis remote teaching? I think the number one lesson as you were asking that question was that I needed to love hard <laughs> and I needed to love my kids so hard. It was, you know, you, you think about how important it is for you to be smiling and say good morning when you see them at school. My face was close to the screen. It was bright. It was um, so thrilled to see them. It was also a lot of face-to-face -face conversations with their families, um, figuring out ways to hold their families as their families were pretty scared of the concept of their children being home and getting behind um, at our school. We were just entering that end of year. Um, we had, we're an IB school, so we had exhibition. And these kids have worked their whole elementary careers towards this moment. And it, there was graduation. So there was a lot of very, like a lot of strings attached to their hearts. Um, for those, we kind of cut out two pivotal months or three pivotal months in their careers as fifth graders. And so loving them hard and being a place for not just them, but also for their parents to feel that we were steady, that we were going to do right by them was, was the number one, the, the mantra that I had to wake up to every morning. Mm -hmm. So when I think about you as an educator and I think about that time, like you just mentioned and, and really described that, that that was the culmination of those elementary years for that group of students, that that end of fifth grade held so many milestones for your students. The idea of loving them hard and being for them, for there for them and for their families was critical and crucial, especially in terms of community and social emotional learning. When you think about learning, 
what are some of the lessons that you learned about instruction and teaching within that remote context? Well, I learned what worked and what didn't, what, what didn't work. That was a little, what didn't work. That was, that was more clear. <laughs> that was more clear. Um, the level of intention, you know, so often I think teachers, we, we can get nervous to have open doors and have people watching us while we're teaching. And then they're asking us to record lessons. <laughs> so, so every single word and every little mistake and every single thing that we do is, is recorded and there for anyone and everyone to see. Um, so I think it was, you were able, I was able to, the first thing that my colleagues and I talked about was this lesson took me eight to 12 times to record because I realized how intentional every single word had to be. Um, and I learned about learners that they have to, they're still children. <laughs> they're, even though they were the big kids in our school, they needed to be able to laugh, talk to one another. I had to somehow replicate what was really important in my room in a virtual classroom. And I actually really called it like this was our space. We lost our four walls, but this remote classroom is an actual classroom. And so how do I create, how do I have it reflect them? Um, how does it actually become a space, which was really, really tricky. Um, I learned that kids have to talk to one another. I think they also have to laugh. Um, they have to, um, <laughs> you know, they got to see when my son would interrupt my lesson, you know, they, because my, my, my own children were learning right beside them. Um, and that actually made it a better classroom because they got to see me sort of be their normal teacher in front of them. Not everything was recorded and perfect, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you think about your beliefs as an educator, um, establishing those deep connections with your students, really knowing them as individuals and being vulnerable yourself and allowing your students to know you. That core belief came through in your virtual classroom the same way it did in your classroom mm -hmm. with the four walls. Um, the importance of discourse and talk and that idea of being able to exchange ideas was another one of your beliefs that transferred into that remote space. So when you think about moving forward and you think about heading into the 2021 school year, you are going to be um, teaching in a remote context, in a remote virtual space, if you will, with a group of learners for the entire year. So what's, on, what's burning on your heart right now? Like what are you, what are you thinking about? What are you, you know, pondering? What are you planning for? Well, I think the first thing um, that I'm thinking of is, hold on a second. I was able to easily move, as easy, much easier, move in March to a virtual setting, to a remote setting. I had already established all of our routines. We were in the middle of reading a novel. So getting them to come in to listen to The Last of the Giver was not a difficult thing. They were already hooked on Jonas's story. So they wanted to hear the rest of that story. How am I going to do that with children? I don't know. Like, I don't know 
how, <laughs> how do I, you know, I'm not going to get to have that sort of proximity where I'm near to them, um, where I'm meeting their, their caregivers on the playground when they're picked up. I don't get to watch them interact on the playground. Um, I don't get to see one of their lips quivering when they come back in from lunch. You know, those are strong, critical parts of getting to know your class that I'm going to miss. So I'm, I'm the thing that's burning is how do I establish the classroom community when I'm starting from absolute scratch. I'm also newer to my school. So it's not like I know a lot of, I know the fifth graders I had last year. You know what I mean? I, I don't, the upcoming kids I haven't seen for years on end. So um, mm-hmm. that's my, that's my number one concern. And I might even say, I, I believe that all of the teaching work is going to come after that. I think that the rigorous thinking work is going to only facilitate the community that I'm trying to build. And then hopefully that it will shift and the community will facilitate the new learning, you know, like it will, it will go back. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really what's burning on. I, I like, I need a classroom list as soon as possible because I need to do my virtual home visits. Like that's what I'm my poor boss. I'm like, <laughs> uh, do we have class lists yet? Do we know <laughs> who I'm going to meet so I can meet their families, so I can talk to them? For kids who don't have internet access or don't know how to get on a Google Meet, am I going to do my drive-by with my poster, wave, here's some books to introduce myself to you? Um, but I need to know who you are first. So those are the things that are on my mind right now. Okay. So you just totally blew my mind, girl. I'm like thinking, and I just know last year when we were, you know, meeting and coaching and talking and learning together, you know, talking about home visits and how important that is for you as a teacher to get to know your students. And when you just said virtual home visits, it was almost like a mic drop (laughs) moment. Like, exactly. So I would love for you to unpack kind of some of your thinking for our listeners about what are some of those best practices or those beliefs that you have and have held for many, many years as a classroom teacher that you're going to shift or that you're thinking about shifting into this virtual space. So you just mentioned virtual Mm -hmm. home visits as one option. And then you just kind of tongue in cheek mentioned like kind of, you know, the car visit (laughs) kind of... The, per- the parade distance. visit. The parade. What else are you thinking? Give us give us like a little glimmer into the Kirsten Myers-Blake brainstorming firestorm that's happening in your head right well, now. Well, I'm thinking of questions that I want to ask. Like, so for my kids who are, um, who are set up virtually, who are comfortable, like, you know, mm-hmm. logging on to a Google Meet or sort of have that... Um, experience. I'm wondering how am I going to a meet their pet parent parents are going to be included. So I want to hear what are your hopes for your kids? What are your fears for your kids? And I'm going to want to do a lot of sort of paraphrasing back to them, mostly so that they feel very heard. Um, and that I have, a they, this is like the lifeline because they are extensions of me at home. <laughs> they are the ones that get to see 
when there's some sadness happening at lunchtime and then they can communicate that with me. Um, if I can, so that relationship with the, between parents and me is so important, but I also want to think about like, how can they show me there's something so cool about home visits? Cause you get to see like, are they sleeping in a room with three other siblings? <laughs> you know, like so no wonder they're not getting right. their reading done. <laughs> you know, like how does how does this happen for them? And I I think the cool part about virtual home visits is you're you're in that space and to let them kind of show you around, show them like where's your sort of thinking space, friend, and where's your sort of living space and what's your favorite things? And that's going to be really exciting for them. Um it's also really fun to see little siblings jumping on in the background in the background because you actually get to see. So when I ask, you know, Emerson to do his homework at home and he's got three little siblings that are crawling into his lap, well that gives me a lot more insight into what I need to confer with him about. Um and then I think about um those sort of drive-by ones. Um and usually, you know, in our in our community, we have a, a huge group of apartments where um, we have a lot of kids with some issues with around internet and whatnot. Um, and so last year, I did some where I dropped off postcards that were already addressed so that they could write me. And it was really fun. It was one of the only times that they've gotten written letters and I'm getting them too, but I have that ready for them. I put it on uh, some, a supply list that that's what I want is I want some, I want stamps. <laughs> I, want, I want, because I, I'd also like to have behind me in my screen, some of the things that they're writing in their handwriting to be pictured behind me as much as possible. Um, not my beautiful anchor charts, but maybe something that they created so that it actually does the screen. It has a shot of their space of their writing behind me um, so that they see themselves reflected when they look at me on the screen. Um, but, and again, I think for a lot of the parents who don't have internet access, the fact that somebody's coming to them and telling them like, I love your kid. And I am so excited to be their teacher and I'm going to get you, we're going to, we're going to fight to get you anything you need to be successful this year. And that includes food, that includes internet, that includes whatever it is. That's a, that's a powerful message. And then I can start talking about content, <laughs> but I can't do it the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um, John Hattie has just produced a new book, and it's called The Distance Learning Playbook. And one, I know, it just came out. I cannot wait. It's like in my inbox. But I was reading a blog about it. And um, one of this particular author has reviewed the book. And kind of the premise of the book is we know a lot about teaching and learning. And we know a lot about working with kids and families. And really, how can we make sure that what we know that works, that has that effect size, can translate into virtual spaces? And number one, not a surprise to you, I'm sure, is teacher-student relationships. And how can we build really strong, meaningful teacher-student relationships in a remote or a virtual setting? And so just to kind of summarize or paraphrase what you just mentioned, this idea of creating virtual home visits and being able to see the mm -hmm. fish tank 
uh, being able to see the kitchen table and to get to know not only your students, but their families and their context and their space for learning. Um, the other is really that idea of conferring with families and actually having conversations that we're going to be partners and we're going to work together to ensure that your student is able to learn and thrive this year, even though we're in a different context or a different environment. You also mentioned something out of the virtual realm, and that's postcards and being able to communicate in a written way that doesn't require technology. It doesn't require the internet. It's just a way to connect personally. Um, the in-person connections when possible and when appropriate to really ensure that families and students have what they need in order to be successful. And then finally, that idea of creating a virtual space that reflects your students as learners, as thinkers, and as people. And I just, in my mind, am envisioning this gorgeous background of yours that really is student-centered and student-created, just like you would in your classroom, but really, really building those student-teacher relationships in so many meaningful ways. You started to go down the path of instruction, and I, that's where I'd love to spend a little of our time today, is I know that your learners understand the rituals and routines of your classroom inside and out. And that if you were ever to be absent on a day or not able to be in the classroom, that your classroom really could in a lot of ways run itself. Um, you subscribe to the workshop model. Your students know the rituals and routines as readers and writers and people. So let's talk a little bit about instruction. What are you thinking about? So I think of some of the things that Wendy Ward Hoffer really talks about as like these sort of these three sort of guiding lamp posts when it comes to um, if we were to distill teaching and what are those important pieces. And this is just so clearly seen in, in workshop model, but it has instruction inter like interrelationships, how they're talking to one another. I'm not sure if that's the right I word. And then there's independence. And so the workshop model facilitates all of that. So I'm going to have this really small lesson. There's some lessons that might be flipped where I'll have them watch it um, independently. And then when they're online live with me, we're doing the, the, we're doing the middle part of the wheel where I'm just conferring back and forth. I had the blessing of watching Valerie Geshwind from the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project um, do a primary writing club. So all these kids were like K-1-2, no previous experience with her, do not know her, do has, she has no like sort of rituals and routines. And the workshop model is what allowed her to be successful. She would teach this small little thing and then she would either use a breakout room to confer with them, or she might just confer, hop around in the room. With older kids, I'm going to be able to say, you can put the volume down. Um, and I might hold up a sign for when you come back on to listen to, to mute or not. Um, but what Harper, my daughter, learned from listening into other people's conferences is exactly what Carl Anderson talks about, like conferring stirs the pot for you. It's like, instead of mixing with a spoon, you're mixing with a beater because all everything is being churned 
without your effort because somebody's listening in and applying it to their piece in a different way. Um, it was powerful. So uh, that conferring piece is is going to be really, really huge. And then, then we talk about how we're going to do our share. And that's where I think a lot of like staff development when we first went virtual was all about all the cool, schnazzy things we could use. Flipgrid, Jamboard, Pear Deck, all, you know, we went through all these sessions and, and none of those uh, platforms, while they're really cool, are going to replace the instruction or the learning. But what it might facilitate is some of that sharing and reflection or conversations. Um, so mm-hmm. those, those sort of like Jamboard or, or flip, uh, Flipgrid sort of happen in the reflection part of my wheel. Um, uh, you know, Padlet, something, something like that. Um, and really picking one or two of them. So my kids get really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really what I'm envisioning is asking myself, when do I want to teach live? And when do I want to confer live? And to decide whether I'm recording a lesson and then facilitating a live like sort of conferring time where we're actually working on what was taught in that lesson or, you know, so-and-so is actually watching the lesson that he was supposed to watch last night. <laughs> like, like what, what does that actually look like? Um, so those are, that's sort of what I'm thinking. And it's also really, you know, one of the things that's on my heart is how do I get kids to become readers? We go through books in my classroom like popcorn. It's like we're, we're eating popcorn at a great horror movie, you know, like they're just going through books. Um, and how do I get them to do that when I don't have my classroom library? That's something that I'm really, you know, sort of trying to envision. I'm trying to envision, am I going to give them a big stack of books that they can like kind of work through and drop those off? Or are we having some sort of pickup, um, So those are things that I haven't quite answered yet, but I do know that when it comes to thinking and teaching them how to think about a text that we can do, that's, that's stuff that we can do, um, with video shorts, that's stuff we can do with shared texts together. Um, but really getting them to read on their own is going to be, I plan on doing some Christy Avani stuff with some, calendars back and forth but you know it's messy work um but I know that again if I go back to do I love you hard do I know you well then we're gonna dive into some instruction and we'll figure out those small those little things like getting books into their hands are details that are I know are gonna work themselves out but if I don't get to know them first it doesn't matter how many books I put in their hands if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you really are holding a vision for community and learning, understanding, discourse, all through the structure of the mm-hmm. workshop model and being able to use that model oh flexibly. God, yeah. So you're thinking about synchronous and asynchronous and all the other cool mm-hmm. terms um, of how to get it put together remote learning. But really, for you, it comes down to building those relationships creating rituals and routines for workshop where your students know there's going to be a little bit of instruction, 
there's going to be time for independence with support, and there's going to be time to share your thinking. And then as time kind of unfolds and as, like you said, the details crop up, those are problems that you'll yeah. be able to solve. Yeah. I think it's, you know, sometimes we can get hung up with like, well, how are we going to get books in their hands or how are we going to do this? And I'm like, well, let's, let's start somewhere, see how we're going. And then I, I, I just, I have faith that those, those small details are going to be bumps in the road and they're going to fi- figure themselves out. Um, kids are going to be wanting to get books in their hands. So they're going to be fighting for it without me needing to fight for it for them. So that's, that's a cool change um, mm-hmm. for them. So as we wrap up today, what are your hopes for the 2021 school year? So I think, you know, as I look at what an incredibly historical moment we are privileged um, to be walking in, and as scary as it is. <laughs> um, I I am a crazy, I don't know about you, but we are huge Hamilton people <laughs> in our house this summer. We know all the words, we know everything. And every single time I watch the musical, I I like am learning something new. And there's this song. Um, in the musical, and I was listening to it the other day, right after I had talked to one of my colleagues. And the song is that history has its eyes on you. And I was watching it. And my daughter said, Mom, why are you crying? And I said, Mm. Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, at the very beginning, it's it's George Washington saying I, I started off and I made so many mistakes and things went so wrong. And I feel like with remote learning, we have sort of been raked across the coals, you know, with, with in the public's eye and say that this didn't work, even though we tried so hard. Um, And then George Washington says, he sings this, this part where he says, um, now I know that we can win and I know that greatness lies in you, but remember from here on in history has its eyes on you. So I think of what our children are walking through. They are not just, they're not just concerned about remote learning. They walked through a spring that was full of trauma where there is, some of them were taking care of siblings. Some of them had no access to come online. Then they went into a summer where there was not only this virus, but there was also protests in front of a lot of their houses. And then they're walking into a fall where they might not even see their teacher's face because their faces will be covered by a mask. We're going through a really, you know, the, uh, the political climate in the country is really tricky. I think that children are listening to the podcast that their parents are hearing, so their anxiety is really high. So those are the babies that we are being given. We get we get to teach them. And history has its eyes on how we're going to handle and do right by those kids. Those kids are going to write the, the, the stories of this time, you know, the uh, primary documents of this time. And we get to nurture them. So I think of how are we going there's a great deal of intention and the bravery that it's going to take to do this right um, is a, is a privilege and we are going to fail. 
but um, we can do this. <laughs> we can do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited to try and I'm excited to love hard. Kristen, thank you so much. I think that today's children are honored to have educators like you and your colleagues who, who do love hard and who think hard. Um, you're, you're in it to win it. And as history is watching you, I think that you're going to make a difference. You're going to make a huge impact on all of your students and their families. So thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.